Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, a couple of episodes ago, I had our good friend Alistair Unicom on from Two Guys in a Dice Cup, the Blood Bowl podcast. But as you all know, Al is a massive bolt-action competitive genius. He's a guru with listing. And he sat down with me, and we put together a couple of lists for an event that happened a couple of weeks ago called Combat Patrol here in Melbourne, Australia. That was a 500-point bolt-action event. And I posted a bunch of pictures of that, and you had a really good time. And since I did that, I have had literally nine or ten requests to talk about the event. And I had a wonderful time, so, you know, I'm probably prone to do these things anyway. So I thought, well, let's actually talk about this. Uh, joining me to talk about the event is another player uh, at the event and a gentleman who is quickly becoming the man I play most. He was recently on our 10 board games we would recommend episode, which turned out to be 12 plus. But uh, he's the man who I've been playing a lot of Grim Dark Future with, as well as Bolt Action and assorted other games. And he is a hell of a war gamer. My good friend, Dave Hunsdale, welcome to Cast Ice. Brad, thank you very much. I'm very honored to be back on the show. I, I think that if, I, if I'm on today, then it means that people could understand my accent last time I was on, which is always a good thing. So yeah, happy, happy to be here and happy to talk about bold action. We recently played uh, at Combat Patrol. Now, Combat Patrol was an event organized by two of the brains behind the bolt action group of axes and ales, which is a big Melbourne gaming club that started up a couple of years ago and was uh, the brainchild and product of the hard work of our good friend Viv from Knights of Dice terrain. I mean, the man's a genius and he has brought so much terrain out for people to use for this club. It is amazing. Now, Dave, I have played there quite a few times. As folks who are watching the YouTube video can see, I am wearing my Axis and Ales uh, Bolt Action Club shirt, as are you. Uh, we are both members, but you've definitely played more. Tell us a bit about the Axis and Ales Bolt Action Club or just the Axis and Ales Club in general, because it is huge. Yeah. Uh, listen, this is where I have to, um, well, I get to publicly thank you because um, I, I obviously wanted to get into board gaming um, at, you know, at, at a bit of a higher level and move into the tabletop side of things. And I really wanted to, to have a go at Bolt Action, which is a game that I tried in the early um, 2010s, um, but couldn't find anyone to play. This was back in Northern Ireland. And then um, when I saw during the, um, the sort of tail end of the pandemic, that, um, that you were organizing bold action events. I emailed you randomly and went, hey, <laughs> friends, <laughs> um, I, need, I need some help. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I, was, I, I wanted to find out where could I play bold action because I couldn't find anywhere close to me, um, out in the, the sort of um, eastern suburbs. 
Um, and you had recommended Actors and Ales, even though it was quite far away. You said you were pretty confident there was a, a bit of a scene there. Um, so that led me to find Axes and Ales Facebook page and stick on a random comment. You know, um, I need friends. Does anyone want to be a friend with me? And um, thankfully, uh, Drew um, and also another guy, Rob Deegan, um, who I'm pretty sure is a, a good friend of yours as well. Uh, oh, yeah. They, they, they were happy to... Um, to bring me along and show me the game and give me an army to play with. Um, so yeah, Axes and Eels has just a really good setup of terrain. Um, they've got a really good booking system to make sure that you're getting the table that's best for your game style and the terrain that's best for your game um, system that you're playing. And also just a really cool set of dudes you know and um you know there, there's just so much variety and choice of game that you can get involved in up there um any anytime you have seen a facebook post go on to their um their, their page of somebody who's just moved to that area or is just getting back into gaming they just pop something on and within within a couple of um, minutes somebody will have responded saying yep here's somebody who's going to be uh you know can show you this game or, or play this game with you hundred percent. And when I've been there, you yeah. see, I mean, obviously you see the 40 K that happens. That happens everywhere. Yeah. Um, I've seen people playing fantasy. I've seen people play Kings of war. Occasionally I've seen regular games of BattleTech. I've seen regular games of kill team, lots yeah. of games of blood bowl. There's bolt action happening in spades. Uh, Marvel crisis protocol has been happening a lot. There's just so many different games happening every week at that club. And of course, because it's at a bowls club, you get all the wonderful benefits of a bowls club uh, in the form of lots of space, um, you know, comfortable seating, <clears throat> inexpensive <laughs> beverages. I mean, you name it, it's it's solid and it is such a good venue. And the vibe, as you said, is so good. No one's playing there. I mean, everyone's playing at a high level from what I've seen, but it's a friendly high level, which is a, a big change from some competitive clubs that I have seen where, you know, sometimes it doesn't look like folks are actually having fun. They're taking it a little too seriously, but there's always, the room is always buzzing. And if you are anywhere near Thornbury, you need to go check that out. Even if you're not, I mean, I live nowhere near there. Dave lives even further and both of us are members and it is wonderful, particularly if you are trying to play bolt action in Melbourne, highly recommend. Um, Dave, anything you want to add to that? Am I missing? Yeah, well, I think um, there was, uh, for Bolt Action in particular, last year just was really interesting because I, I obviously arrived to try and learn how to play Bolt Action and, and so did about three or four different people. And one of those people was the um, the, the one of the, the, the tournament organizers for um, Combat Patrol, uh, John Mack. Um, and John um, and I have played lots of games up at um, Axes and Ales. We also played a few um, at each other's um, house as well. And um, yeah, John's also the person who um, spearheaded the uh, Bolt Action League um, just in the, the lead up to Christmas, which was which was really good fun and helped us all become that little bit more competitive for our, our first couple of tournaments. Yeah, it was wonderful yeah, it was because wonderful. John tied that league to, I think, Operation Bear happening. So people play started to jump to action, got some games in, which is another event we ran. And then they got to play regularly and build up their force to get to Operation Bear. As, as the guy who was part of the organizing group for both of those events, it was, it was such a godsend. And it really did reinforce 
um, a number of newer players saying, yeah, we now have a force. We're now comfortable playing in a quote unquote bigger event. Um, and I mean, you, you joined us for jump to action came out of nowhere. Um, as far as I knew, other than sending us a message and now yeah. you're a regular at every event. Yeah, that was um, Jump to Action was my very first. That was actually my very first gaming tournament, um, not just for for bold action. So um, that was a really good, um, yeah, it was just a really good introduction to to tournament um, playing and bold action. And I think that's why you know we, we talked about this a little bit off air um, about what's what's the plans for future tournaments and um, bold action was maybe dropping down the list. And then I talked about it. I'm like, actually, no, I think I, I want to play bold action. <laughs> Let's talk about Combat Patrol because Combat Patrol had some different army building rules than what we're used to. This was a 500-point event, so armies much smaller than what we usually play at events here in Melbourne. Um, games were 90 minutes, although I think there was a little bit of leeway on a couple of the rounds, and games were played on a 4 by 4 table, so smaller table size, smaller point value, shorter time limit which means short, sharp games, lots of action really quickly. Um, you could have a max of eight order dice. Armored vehicles were restricted. You could have an eight-plus armor vehicle. Um, you could only have one of those, but it must be open-topped. You could have a seven-up armor vehicle, one, or you could have, oh, sorry, and or you could have two six-up armored soft-skin vehicles. Vehicles could not take any extra optional weapons, except for trucks, which could take medium machine guns. Players had to use reinforced platoons or theater selectors, i.e. no tank platoons. Um, only vehicles um, with a maximum of two LMG MMG plus its main armament or three weapons in total were allowed. So the Tokarev 4 machine gun truck, for example, which I mentioned in the last episode, or the meat chopper, neither one of those was allowed. No weapons that had HE 3-inch or 4-inch were allowed. Maximum one infantry flamethrower. No vehicle-mounted flamethrowers were allowed. And free units or equipment, i.e. British equipment, uh, British artillery observer, or the free and experienced squad, or um, light machine guns on church and squads, blah, blah, blah. They weren't free for this event they were 50% of their normal cost. So you did get a deal, but it was half, which given that it was half of a thousand points and a thousand points is the quote unquote recommended level for bolt action. That makes sense. Um, going into this event, Dave, I know I've talked till I was blue in the face with what I was going to take. Um, how did these rules impact your army selection and what did you take? Yeah, the uh, so the army that I decided to take was um, a, a new army for me. It was uh, it was a French um, army, and what I wanted to do was to try and make it historically accurate in terms of um, how the structure of the units would have been set up and what weaponry they would have had. Um, so I had a little help from a, a good friend of yours, um, Patch. Um, who gave me a nice website link to be able to see how the French um, were set up, um, particularly during the Battle of France, whenever the Germans um, did the old switcheroo and came in um, towards the, the north of France instead of the, the Maginot Line. Um, and in historically, that was either um, 
it was either very young, inexperienced um, soldiers, or it was really tired, old um, uh, veterans, but not in the, not in the veteran sense. They'd kind of lost their motivation at that stage. So I wanted to have a completely inexperienced French army. So in many ways, I feel like this allowed me to have a little bit of a horde army, um, even at 500 points, because um, it, basically I was able to afford a lot more than, than other players. Yeah, it, it, it didn't help me against you, Brad, but we'll get to that later on. <laughs> So um, let, let's just say Cobra was strong that day. Um, so yeah, um, I, I had um, I, essentially I had the chance with the French army to have a free inexperienced unit and also a free artillery um, unit. So for me, I had to then pay half the cost um, for one of the units and, and half the cost for the artillery piece. So in actual fact, a, a unit of 12 inexperienced French um, was 77 points, I think it was. So I ended up, um, you know, having to pay, you know, 30, 30 odd points or whatever it was for the um, the uh, one of the units. And then I'm pretty sure the, um, I think it was 60 points was what the uh, the full value of the artillery piece um, was. So I, so I had to pay 30 points for that. And that actually left me um, on 497 points, I think it was somewhere around there. So what you're telling me is you rigged the system. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I tried to I tried to max maximize what what I could get in there, but but all all in all, I just wanted to make sure that what I put out on the on the field was within the rules and it was as historically accurate as possible. Um, so that it ultimately ended up as four inexperienced twelve man units and one artillery piece, and then I had a, a, an inexperienced um, second lieutenant with with two um, two guys helping him. Um, and that's what I what I came with. And it was very clear to me within the, the first game as I put my models out on the um, table that I may have had maybe one or two dice less than everybody else, but I had many, many more bodies. Um, and, and that definitely helped me in my first two games. Um, let's talk about my list because I did do a whole episode on it and I have had a lot of people asking what I actually took. Now, I did post this on the Facebook page in case people wanted to see it. Um, but I did take a regular second lieutenant. Um, this is very similar to the list that Alan and I came up with. Um, I had a, pump, a bunch of people say, why did you change it? Um, I did change it because I realized I actually embarrassingly don't have as many Cobra blue troopers. That's just the basic troopers as I thought I did. I thought I had three full 10 man squads. I didn't. So I had to, I had to drop back how many Cobra troopers I had. And I had to then add in some Crimson Guard to fill them out. So, as I said, I had a regular lieutenant, Cobra commander with the Baroness, um, so regular people, with two Crimson Guard squads, which were two regular eight-man rifleman squads. Um, I was using the German national rules. I had two um, ten-man blue Cobra trooper squads, which were Luftwaffe field division, each with one Panzerfaust which made zero difference over the course of the game, but they were nice. And I had the RPG model. So what the, Hey, um, I had a, uh, I, I took the Cobra ferret, which was the ATV. And I used the German, um, light machine gun, um, sorry, medium machine gun bike. And then I had 
the light auto cannon, which I use the asp, which is actually an auto cannon for the GI Joe bad guys, just poured it over perfectly. And then I had a couple extra points and I took a regular German light machine gun team, which isn't the medium machine gun, the light machine gun teams that didn't have points for the medium. And again, um, they were the Crimson Guard models. And yeah, like you, I had, I felt like I had way more dudes than a lot of my opponents, which was strange because in my first two games, I played Soviets and I'm used to being way outnumbered by Soviets. But um, given that my opponents had vehicles, uh, I actually had a lot of dudes and it felt like I was outnumbering, especially my second opponent um, who um, definitely had the tools to take my dudes out. Um, but we'll get to that game in a second. Um, Dave, the first game that we played was uh, Double Envelopment, which is the mission where we both come on, you and your opponent both come onto the board, and we're trying to kill our opponent's models and get across the board into their deployment zone or off the board. So for that mission, I faced off against our good friend, Doug Veal, um, Doug, of course, is um, old school wargamer AU royalty and um, has come over to bolt action in recent months slash year. Um, and he is just always a pleasure to play. And we had a nail biter. He brought his Soviets. He had a BA-10 armored car, which was pure horror at this point level. Mm -hmm. um, having an armored car with multiple machine guns. Um, but one of those machine guns has the option of firing as a light anti-tank gun, the turret one, um, meant that I was terrified of that thing the entire game. Um, and he had a sniper and a bunch of squads running around. Doug gave me a ride and we were talking about lists on the way over. And I said, I don't want to face you at all. Of course, first round faced him. And, um, what really saved my bacon in that game was Doug's dice kind of went cold when bringing units on. And um, he kept the BA-10 in reserve, and it didn't come on till the last turn, which meant that I was very, very lucky um, to not have to deal with that. And it meant he was playing over 100 points down for the entire game, and I was able to get in, you know, towards the end of the game, I was able to get my machine gun motorcycle off the board, and that just um, sort of ended the game there. Uh, but again, Doug played it beautifully. I felt really bad because um, he played well, um, but and the score didn't really indicate it. But until I got that motorcycle across, it was a very close game um, because when you get a unit off, it's three victory points. So that swung the differential by, I think, four, whereas before it was very close with one. And that is a draw according to the mission. So again, I got lucky. Great game. You know, can't can't fault Doug for any of his tactics. But God, I'm really glad that Armored Guard didn't come on because it would have made mincemeat of me, as we'll see in game two. Uh, Dave, how was your set first round? Yeah, first game um, was, I, I think the guy was called Jack. Um, and he was, I believe, a returning bolt action player. Um, mm -hmm. And he had, he had interestingly, he had, I think he had made the drive from Ballarat. Um, so uh, we were comparing... Um, me having a newborn in the house and my early morning to his early morning drive from Ballarat. 
Um, and uh, I, I, think, I feel like his was still worse. <laughs> but um, and I, I think he also said that he was going to be coming with a friend. And then at the last minute, his friend wasn't able to come. So he, he made the drive by himself. But he was a, a great, great opponent and a great guy to, to play against. We were um, we were super patient with each other and just you know allowed ourselves to to enjoy the game and, and just let it, let it happen. And I feel like uh, he had um, he, he fell into a trap that that I have often fallen into. And I have um, the wise words of Rob Deacon in the back of my mind pretty much every time I come to a tournament, and it's him whispering, "Play the mission." And, and it was, it's, it's don't don't get caught up trying to destroy your opponent just what is the mission the mission is to get people off the board so that's what you should be doing and it's so easy to get caught up in in that um during a game so what he kind of took defensive positions um with his and I'm, i think he had germans i'm pretty sure he had germans um so he had defensive positions um towards his side of the board and he was trying to stop me getting there but with 12 man units um i was just running forward like a maniac trying to trying to get off the board and all i needed was one or two of those guys to survive the um the peppering of bullets and, and get there um and i think another theme that really um, stood out for me during the tournament as well as just this first round was that a vehicle is great if it's doing something for you, but if it's not doing anything or it's been put in a bad position um, or the other person just have, has lots of units, it's not going to stop you in these kind of missions where you um, you need to just get, get to an objective or get to the other side of the board. And that's where I feel... Um, vehicles maybe aren't the smartest choice from a from a tournament point of view um but i didn't create my army based on that i didn't go well i'm not going to waste my points on vehicles I, that's just how the, the cookie crumbled for me um but I, I feel like others maybe if this tournament was to run again or a similar point value i'd see less um vehicles on the other side of the board yeah i was, yeah, running, I, was running. I think my machine gun motorcycle is like 45 50 points um, I don't mind spending that on something that was so fast and got around. It was 40 points. So I don't mind spending 40 points out of 500 on a motorcycle, but anything close to a hundred, I was starting to go, mm, I don't think so. Now our buddy Albert, of course, took the open topped staghound with all the guns um, or as many as this event allowed. And that was well over a hundred points and he absolutely made good use of that. So, <laughs> yeah, of course it's Albert. <laughs> he's, he's a, he is a phenomenal player and he's able to extract the best out of every unit that he's able to get his hands on. I'm still, I still have flashbacks of um, dealing with his Italian motor motorcyclists um, who, who just kind of, in a blink of an eye, they've gone from their side of the table to beside you, and then they're 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 unleashing all kinds of um, firepower on you. Mm -hmm. um, let's get to round two now. In round two, it was a scenario where you there were three uh, objectives sort of across the center of the board. Or at least that's how it played out in my game, and I ended up playing a very experienced war gamer, a gentleman named Django, who has of course been playing bolt action for years and years. But I think he's best known for uh, being part of the Conquest event committee and for being a very, very established Flames of War player. He knows his stuff. And so when I pulled up against him, 
saw he had his Soviets and saw he had the same VA 10 armored car. I hated life. Um, our board was a desert board and it had um, a, a big piece of train in the middle with one of the objectives on it. And then there was a little bit of train on either side, but there were massive kill zones in there. And then there was a lot of train along the back edge of both of our boards as in the form of ruined buildings. And so Django had a lot of six, I believe they were six man regular LMG squads with, um, you know, a, a sniper and anti-tank team, anti-tank rifle, I should say, uh, and a few other bits and pieces, plus that armored car. And he got into a very good position early, put everything on ambush and just punished me. But I was able to, depending on how many things, because he would dual ambush things next to one another to prevent things from getting wreckied and this, that, and the other thing. Very clever. But in the process, when that happened, it was like the world's crappiest game of red light, green light. So the second he, I would get a bunch of units, move them into positions or like get them halfway there. And then he would start putting things on ambush and then I'd freeze and I wouldn't move anything. And I'd stand there and hold my breath at the end of the round until he uh, would roll to see if he could activate the units. You know, it's a 50-50 chance if something's on ambush to see if they can pull the trigger. And thankfully, they only pulled the trigger about half the time. So I kind of leaned into that. Um, but eventually, um, I think what really clenched it was I had a Hail Mary assault that was like 11 inches out. And um, I was able to get one of my inexperienced squads to charge one of his squads on an objective. So not only did I get a squad out of the kill zone, I was able to kick him off an objective and then sit on it myself in a position that he couldn't easily get to. And then I was able to sort of leverage that front across. Um, but until that happened, I think I was proper screwed. I don't think I have sweat that much in a game in a long time. And I don't recommend the red light, green light strategy of dealing with ambush. But it worked in that particular case. And I'm sticking to it. And But it was, it was an amazing game. I had such a good time. Uh, and I got... As much as I had a good time, I'm not sure I want to play Django again anytime soon. He's really good. And it was like, oh, God, I feel like it, you know, I had not had a lot of sleep going into that event and was just crying during that game. <laughs> anyway, Dave, how was your round two? Uh, my round two was against um, a fellow Axes and Eels regular, um, but a newcomer to Bolt Action. Um, so he had uh, he had borrowed an army, a German army for the the game. Um, his name was Aki, and uh, he's he's pretty well known around um, around Axes and Eels for having a painting table on a Tuesday night that you know anyone who wants to paint instead of. Um, playing a game can can jump in with him and uh, and kind of talk a little bit about gaming and and, and whatnot and, and get some morals um through the conveyor belt uh, as as we all know we need to do um so it was it was good because um listen I I know how how awesome everyone was with me last year whenever I was first starting to learn this game so it's it, it's really important to me that I'm passing that that same mentality and. Uh, and sort of creating that same atmosphere for for others. Um, so there was sometimes during that game that um, that we we were able to talk a little bit of tactically. Is that the best thing to do? Um, you know, you know, to to kind of really map out the game a bit more, but still let it flow as naturally as possible. 
I think the, the, the tricky thing about the um, the second game was it was a jungle board and it was pretty heavily um, set up in terms of terrain. And that actually worked out well for me because um, with 12-man units, four 12-man units, there was lots for me to hide behind and stop uh, the real dangerous stuff for coming from the Germans on the other side, really doing anything serious against my units. So I kind of just held myself just outside of my deployment zone, in behind cover. Um, because my uh, French units were so cheap, I was literally able to give them historically what they should have had, which is pretty much one of everything. It was one light machine gun, one VB launcher, one guy with a pistol, everybody else with rifles. Um, so on a, on a full dice roll, I think I was getting 15, um, 15 dice um, to, to roll. So even when he put one of his units um, of eight man, an eight-man regular unit, or sorry, an eight-man veteran unit into a building, which is going to be a nightmare with, to, to hit and then to wound as well, I was still getting pins. Um, I was still rolling sixes on sixes you know, during this, this game as well, which, which was harsh on, on Aki. I felt for him because he was technically in a safe place. Um, but it just allowed me to get uh, him pinned down a little bit, advance myself forward, and then in the last couple of turns, make that last ditch run in against two of the objectives and um, take two of the objectives and then contest the third one, um, which was uh, which was a bit of an, an extra bonus for me. So it ended up being two, two, to, two to nothing in that second one. But I had a, a good time and Aki, he had said he had, had, had a good time as well, which is which is probably the most important thing for me in that game. Yeah, man, definitely. I mean, especially since, as you said, I know you had a really positive experience coming into the Melbourne bolt action scene. And I know how important that is to you. I'm so glad you were able to pass that experience on. Um, I Something you talked on there, and I, saw, I know it's something we've talked about on this cast in some recent episodes, but I want to draw another underline under it because this event, particularly with the smaller size armies, it really did sort of land it for me, which is if you put just a couple of pins out, I mean, if you put three pins on someone, they're going to rally. Um, that's the old Lee Avery rule. If you have three pins, always rally. Um, however, if you get two pins on something or even one pin, very few people are going to rally. You, you're creating those moments for your opponent where bolt action will happen and their dice will fail. And I, I'm famous for running death by a thousand paper cuts, which is just throwing pin after pin after pin after pin, enforcing my opponents to rally and waste a turn but it means that I'm piling those pins on my opponents in order to make that happen. And I'm, you know, focus firing on particular units to stall my army in different, in my opponent's armies in different places and to get where I want to go. But just by putting two pins, a you're, I mean, of course you're, you're creating the opportunity that they'll fail their test and then they'll go down, um, which gets you the exact same reaction you know, result as if they rallied as in their unit isn't doing anything. It's just stopping, but they still haven't rallied. So they're still behind the eight ball. And even if they do, they're a minus one to hit you when they shoot at you, which I really, I'm starting to come around to the idea of just put two pins on everything, two pins on everything, move on with my life. And I'm sorry, Dave, part of, part of my saying that is going into the third round, 
sorry. Um, because you had an entirely inexperienced army. And yes. uh, going into the third round, which was sectors, um, yeah. How about those yeah. inexperienced with two pins? Dave, do you want to sum this up? Because I feel bad. <laughs> so picture, if you will, listeners, um, you know, you, the 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 young the, the young upstart in the bold action scene, uh, Dave. He's coming he's coming into this tournament, and all he wants to do is improve on his one victory out of three in previous tournaments. Um, so he gets his two victories. So I've, I've achieved my target, but I'm going into that third game a little bit higher on confidence and a little bit more motivated to do well. And who who do I get paired against? I thought it was going to be Albert, but it was um, it was just it was just as deadly. It was it was Brad who um, I have um, been unable to beat at any point in my my, my fledgling gaming career. Um, We've drawn. Very okay. If we're listen. You knew you, you knew you're um you're you're scratching at the um uh, scratching the walls if you're uh, if you're counting draws as wins. So anyway, there I was. I thought this was the first the first time that I might give you a run for your money. Um, I think I we we uh, we set up um we we deployed and I I managed to put my um artillery piece behind hard cover in the setup, and I thought, hey. This is this is a good place for artillery. It's going to be hard for um, for, for for Brad to get that. Brad's very first uh, move in this game was to just have a little you know a little pot shot at that artillery. He needed he needed sixes. Um, he rolled his two dice. He got two sixes. Um, and then I literally just I, my my whole world sank, and I realized you know it was it was it was like that that the cruel reality um, of of war gaming against the uh, against Brad came and slapped me in the face, um, and and goodbye artillery piece, uh, which was supposed to give me that kind of cross the um, cross the field cover so that I could do things with my other units, uh, and it was gone, uh, and that was the that was the start of what can only be described as a um, a a, white, a whitewash. Of, of of my inexperienced French guys as as Cobra advanced across the board to score as many points as possible. I I put two pins on everything and then then some more and then, and then I put some more and yeah I'm sorry I I was able because I I yes I think I was unbelievably lucky with that first shot with my auto cannon to take out your artillery piece with its he however. I think what sealed, well, what didn't seal the game, but made the game much harder for you and much easier for me was that I won the role for table quarters and I made a switch and I took the corner that had the buildings and I set up my force and you had to come get me. And I didn't deploy in the buildings because you had howitzers, um, but I was able to play enough peekaboo and, um, you know, peek around, pin, hit a squad, cause enough casualties cause it to run away hit the next squad hit the next squad hit the next squad so dave i'm sorry um but i i chewed you apart piecemeal i felt really bad about that but no it was it was it was an expertly delivered game plan and i think um you know those are the games i i i love and you know it's i don't care how how stereotypical that sounds in terms of um you know playing these kind of games you you want to have a learning experience when you're when you're playing people and even just on this podcast you know 
there's there's things that maybe some of the, your your listeners and, and viewers will know that that's just standard um as a standard tactic or or move but you mentioned something earlier on that um you know Django was doing he was doubling up on his ambush and as soon as you said that i'm like hey i've never thought of that before that's an excellent idea you know so it's like for for guys like me who are who are new to that level of gaming um even though you you still want to go and have fun it's just knowing those tactics and when to employ them and when to it can, it, it can be really helpful and and even out our balance again that's going south for you um so yeah it was it was excellent i, I feel like i made one tactical error in that um game which is um i had and and you, the worst thing is is you you told me off about this a couple of weeks prior to to this in, in a grim dark feature game was Sorry. I, I stupidly activated a unit that whose only um threat was something that had already activated on your side and i was like why did i do that um so therefore i just gave you an open door for the next dice to come out being um one of yours and and, there, and then i've got another unit that's pinned so one one mistake um was was really you know we'll probably talk about this or, or you'll talk about it a bit more um that was the feeling from this tournament is that you you couldn't afford that many mistakes compared to a, a bigger sized game they, they really they were inflated um a bit a bit more and they were a little bit harder to to digest and, and cope with while i was playing i i mean that focusing on pins really became paramount because the forces were so small and getting those those creating those opportunities for units to fail because people had so few units if you could get one or two units to go down because they're failing their tests and you're able to hold up somebody or put enough firepower on somebody so they're going to go down all of a sudden your opponent isn't using a significant you know portion of their army in a turn which allows you to do more and get more bang for your buck just something going back to what you were saying a second ago with the listening to other people's gaming podcasts because i'm a podcast addict i'm not just a podcaster and i'm always listening and people say this from time to time and i always go oh yeah why wouldn't you do that but i should probably say it on this show um, what I just mentioned is something that I know is just human nature that when you're playing games, you'll often say, okay, we roll off for table sides. Well, I'm already here. So I'll stay here. Don't do that. Actually take a couple of minutes because I honestly think you probably, <laughs> you could have taken the crown in that last game quite easily. Um, had we been in the opposite direction, I would have been properly screwed had we gone diagonally the other way i think it probably would have been a straight up even game but i game the system by switching table sides with you and picking that particular quarter and i think the tos went out of their way to really create interesting um, tactical boards when they set up the terrain um, and each board had its own flavor and there were different densities of terrain hats off and i'll get to those in a second the tos were fantastic for this event but for that particular table there was that opportunity that i took full advantage of being sectors if you win that roll or even before you roll that dice take a really good look at your board have a look at your what your opponent's bringing have an idea of where you'd like to be but also have a really good idea of where you don't want to be and if you end up getting stuck in this position you don't want to be, 
try and get yourself out of it and go, you know, hard refuse flank someone, go the other direction, try and throw their game plan out. And that's what I was doing in that last round. Dave, the second we got to that table and I, I had a hint at how many dudes you had, I went, I really hope I win this die roll. And I don't normally care that much, but I cared for that game. Yeah, and listen. I think um, you know t- tournaments are t- tournaments are there because you you want to do well, right? Yes, you, you can do things like um, you know. Yes, I brought an inexperience and tried to make it historically accurate French army, but I didn't go there because you know I was like hoping to be beaten by everyone. You know, you, you want you want to do you know have at least one or two of your games that go well or they're competitive, and you you try to try to win some, and you use your tactical noise to try and um, you know get the best out of a game. But I think there is. In that last game, there was two key things that happened after the the, the double six roll um, that that I was like I can those for the, for me they were clinchers. Um, there, there was one where I where I had three pins and I was. I, I said I'm going to rally here, <laughs> so being all smart and uh, you know, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to try and get my inexperienced guys to be able to do it and complete an order um, test. So I rallied, of course, failed the leadership, <laughs> so wasted a turn not rallying. That was number one, and then the second one was. I had my guys around the corner of uh, of one of the buildings and you were on the other side. And in my mind, I'm like, don't look over there because you're going to charge Brad's unit whenever you get the next order die. And he's going to be so surprised. And then you're going to go in there with your 12 men and ruin his day. And, uh, and then it, it, the next dice that came out was Brad's. Uh, and then Brad starts making a sort of uh, a little casual stroll around to that area of the table. I'm like, no. No, Brad, no. And I was like, are you about to do what I think you're about to do? And you're like, uh, maybe. <laughs> and I was like, are you going to charge my unit? And that's when I knew that the, the, the game was up for me. And, and and it was then became a case of I need to be a sportsman and let Brad uh, competitively do as best as he can so that he can finish as, you know, as strong on the on the leaderboard as he, as he possibly can as well. Again, I, I'm really sorry. Um, that I, I appreciate it. And I have to say, some of those die rolls in that game did not go your way. And you were an absolute champion. So I'm really sorry, Dave. And the next time we play, um, I think I'm due for a proper teeth kicking. So uh, please don't tell me. No, there, there's there's a photograph that I think you posted on the on the on your Facebook page. And I think it's me. It's me pre-double sixes. You know, and I'm really happy. You know, I'm, I'm having such a great, <laughs> a great time. If if that photograph had been taken a few minutes later, it might have been a slightly different look. Dave, let's talk about the folks who ran the event. Now we've talked about it before, but let's—I think it bears uh, reiteration—that Drew Bax, who is Drew Baxter, um, the former TO of CanCon, obviously not this last year, um, but the year before. He ran this event with John Mack, who you mentioned earlier, who ran the really successful Bolt Action League last year. Those guys are both experienced gentlemen as far as bringing people together, making sure people are having a good time. I played in the at the last event Drew ran at House of War literally 12 months ago. And I, I ran my fins at that event and had a blast. And this time was exactly the same. Drew provides goodie bags. The goodie bag for this event was amazing. Um, everyone got one. There was a ton of prizes that were raffled out. There was a bunch of different trophies that he 
hilariously, like, so he 3D printed these beautiful trophies. He painted them up so they looked really schmig. But then hilariously, with the goodie bag, you all got a little thing of super glue. And I was like, oh, that's clever for when you break your models. No, he actually had 3D printed everyone's name and had painted it to match the trophy. So when you came up to get your trophy, it was a bl- it had a blank spot on it, and he handed you your nameplate, and you would glue your own name to the trophy. It was a really nice touch. I mean, that just shows how much thought he had put into this event. Um, John Andrew had really gone out of their way to make sure that there was enough high-quality terrain. Um, they had reached out, and I brought an extra table of terrain just in case. Um, because they had a lot of players. This was an 18-player event, um, which for Combat Patrol, you know, it when you have an interesting format, not everyone signs up. And there were a lot of people who are quote-unquote bolt-action regulars in Melbourne who couldn't make the event. And to have those such strong numbers and then to make sure that you have all of the all of the terrain and all of the resources and the prizes, it was just... It was a really professionally run event. They they kept the timings spot on. They took coffee orders during the first round and delivered coffee to your table. There was pizza brought in for lunch. Um, they took a poll as to when people wanted to have the lunch. Like They were really accommodating. They were really friendly. They answered so many good rules questions for folks over the course of the day. And God, man, they were... I could not more recommend an event they run more. Dave, what was your opinion of this? Yeah, listen, every everything you said, you know, it was um, it was really uh, it was really well organized from before the event. You know, getting your list in, um, asking any questions that you needed to have. Uh, I think John really enjoys the uh, the graphic design side of things in terms of you know what does the picture look like you know how, how does Combat Patrol as a as a piece of signage look actually he um, he spearheaded the creation of these T-shirts for Axes and Eels so he, it's kind of uh, that's that, that's what he enjoys um, doing um, and uh, he. Uh, him, him and Drew on the day just did they just went out of their way to make it as enjoyable as possible heaps of new players so they wanted that experience for new players to be as strong as possible and to be something that they'll remember and be uh, motivated to continue playing the game and to come to other events and not just their events you know if you have a if you have a good time at one event you're going to go to every um, event that you can for that game system um, and, and and even more as well so yeah, really good job, and uh, they also did quite a, a, a funky thing that Drew sort of spearheaded again in the, the, the tournament, which is these additional ways of winning a prize. Um, I think there was most most double ones was one of them. Most unluckiest player, uh, you know, what units that killed the most. Um, trying to think what other ones they had yeah it was just a bunch of quirky ways not just how many games did you win uh, different ways of being able to celebrate people's gamesmanship um or uh, or, or how people did on the day and, and give them a prize for, for taking part they made it so accessible for so many people in so many ways it and, and as someone who doesn't often get to play in a lot of bolt action events this was top tier it was such a wonderful player interface and to have so many people walk away with so much and have so much fun, 
and it was just such a good vibe. Um, and we're going to yeah. talk about their next event in just a second. But I think it is worth mentioning that um, our good friend Albert, of course, came first at this event. He got best uh, allied player with his Canadians. I almost said British. Canadians, Albert, I apologize. Um, and he was miles ahead in the rankings. Easily won uh, first place and very deservedly so. I won best access player. I came second behind Albert, clearly. Um, and then Dave, you got best minor power uh, because you were playing French. Um, and yes. I, I don't, was it, I, I, I want to say fifth or eighth. Oh, do you know where you came overall? Yeah, I, I think it was, um, I feel like it was maybe fifth. Um, so the way that the, the trophies were handed out on this was if you were all, if you already had a trophy for something, then you wouldn't get given a trophy for something else. So right. therefore, by default, I ended up getting a, a trophy. But in truth, somebody else finished third. Um, you know, there was probably I think there was one minor minor nation that was above me in the in the rankings. Um, but yeah, it was it was good because again, it's playing into that everyone gets something. Um, and I think the other person who had won the minor nation who was actually the highest scoring minor nation had already won the best painted. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I could be wrong on that. Regardless, you walked away with a nice trophy. Um, and I think it was representative because you hammered out the, a beautiful French army and it was not an insignificant number of dudes. Uh, so it was really great to see that on the tabletop because I know you had talked about, Oh yeah, I might, I might do this French army. And then all of a sudden, it was across the board for me. And I went, wait, where did that come from? It was, uh, it was really cool to have seen you pull that out and to, cause you know, we faced, I faced your British before to be able to face a new army. Now I know for you, it was bittersweet. There were some great moments. There was some not so great moments. So before we get to future events, as you lean into the French, a, are you going to lean more into the French? Is that something you're enjoying doing? And or um, what are you going to change when you take it up to a larger point value game, do you think? Um, I think uh, for, for me, um, and I'm sure lots of players are like this, I have to have some form of connection with uh, with who I'm playing. Um, and that's that's across any of the game systems that I've been um, playing recently. Um, with the French, I just I wanted them to be as as close to what they would have been like in in history as possible whenever the the battle of france happened and um, so i think that just out of pure um stubbornness and and also a, a want to to play something that is um close to real life i will continue on that inexperienced theme and i'll just learn how to play that on the flip side of my british paratroopers who are um uh, you know, a, a bridge too too far is where the motivation for the for that those guys came from. But they're a veteran paratrooper army, so to play those two different types of army is a, is a really cool experience for for me and, and changes things up. I have, however, <laughs> just um, uh, backed a Kickstarter for some uh, really beautiful Japanese uh, World War II sculpts. So um, I do think that that's probably going to be the the next uh, the next project. And I think Albert has joked about this a few times, um, but that's that's uh, that's something that I will do is I will 
3D print and paint at a rapid rate if I've got something to aim for. So um, that's that's probably going to be the next the next project. The the next event though, it just depends on timing. I feel like I'm probably going to go back to the the British for a while because um, I've had that little blast with the French, and then maybe put a bit more thought into how I'm going to build up that French force a bit more. Um, let's talk about the actual next event because we in Melbourne are very lucky to have another big bolt action event coming at us thick and fast. Now, traditionally, there has been a bolt action event at Conquest over the last couple of years. Typically, it's been run by Lee Avery. I've worked with him a number of times doing it as well. Um, this year, Lee and I are stepping back. Um, Lee is actually running the Marvel Crisis Protocol event at the Conquest convention. Um, but um, Drew and John are, again, stepping up, and they are going to run um, the bolt, ac bolt action event on April 8th and 9th at the Conquest Convention. Now, it's at a new location for those who have been there in the past. It is at the Coburg Town Hall. It is a 1,000-point bolt-action event. And the way it works is you can play it one day or two days. So it's it's very fluid. I know Easter weekend, a lot of people can't always make the Sunday. We have seen that many times running events that weekend in the past. It's no larger than 1,000 points. Uh, armies must be made from theater lists. You cannot use a reinforced platoon with the following limitations. A maximum number of tanks you can have is two. Uh, the maximum number of flamethrowers is one. Uh, only one platoon, so you can't have two platoons for this event. Heroes cannot be taken. Uh, and the maximum number of order dice you can have for this event is 15. There are a huge number of trophies or possible prizes for this event best commander best allied commander best access commander best minor power commander uh best themed platoon best painted uh, most enjoyable opponents mayhem award unluckiest player zero to hero ace of aces best objective markers which is something we haven't seen which is really rad and best pin markers so there this is going for some really great hobby awards as well as sports, as well as battle points, as well as historical theming. It's as though they are awarding a separate award for every different element of the bolt action hobby. Mate, I'm signed up for the <laughs> Marvel event because I love Lee like a brother and I'm painting a crud load of terrain for that event. But after having such a good time at the last event and oh, it's, it's, <laughs> oh, it's killing me. Uh, theoretically I could play Marvel one day and bolt action the other, but oh, I just want to, I want to play some games. I don't know. Yeah. What do you I'm think? Talk to me. Yep. I'm, I'm in exactly the same place. And it was the, the toss up was Marvel crisis protocol um, because it's just a really uh, fun system, um, and it's it's so different um, to to bolt action. But after that tournament, um, after you know having two two wins and then the the humbling defeat, I feel like I've got some hunger in there. You know, I'm like. Yeah, I feel like I've got uh, I've got to right those wrongs. So I have a funny feeling that I will be doing at least one day at the uh, at the conquest um, event, um, and just really sink my teeth further into to bold action. 
because having had a little bit of a break from it um, where I wasn't playing it as intensely for a couple of months because I was trying out some different game systems, when I came back to it for that event, it was really interesting to see what I'd remembered, what tactics from the other game systems I was now using to play this one. And it made me realize that you've got to really sink your teeth into to games to get that tournament um, mentality and that structure in your, your, your process that you use to, to, um, to play each game. So I feel like I want to capitalize on that, um, that wave that I'm riding and see if I can turn it into a few more wins. I know I've mentioned on the show recently that I'll say it again um, over January, I rebought an old army that was painted by Seabax, Craig Baxter of the old um, Bolt Action Radio slash Ghost Army podcast. Bolt Action Royalty, this man, helped create a lot of the Bolt Action.net rules way back when, wrote um, a campaign system for Bolt Action way back in version one. The man's a legend. And he painted up a an unbelievably huge Soviet horde for me way back when. And I, during some times of financial trouble um, years ago, I I unfortunately had to let it go. And I was able to recently rebuy it from our good friend, Ash, who um, was looking to, you know, pass it back because I sold it to him. And I opened the box and pulled it out on the table and I knew there was a lot of models. I remember it being, you know, quote unquote, two armies worth of models. It's unbelievable how many models are in that box. It's a full NKVD army. It's a full Soviet scout army with extra bits. And then Ash had added vehicles and guns and everything else to it. When I owned it, it didn't have two Zis threes, which it has now. It's got a BT-7 tank, a KV-2, a T, uh, T-34, a T-34-85, a truck, multiple smaller vehicles, oh, a bunch of SU-76s. And like there's there's six anti-tank rifles in that army. And, you know, just you name it, it's there. And as I was pulling it out of the case, I was like, yeah, there's, there's some scouts in here. And there's like 50 scouts. So all of a sudden... You know, I'm kind of wanting, and I honestly, I don't think it's going to be that good, but I think it would be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, yeah. An almost entirely forward deploying army. Um, I've never played it at an event. I've played it in funsy games and the thought of it, 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 it definitely will lose its pants in a number of games where admission specifically, it just won't be prepared and I'll get wrecked. But that would be really fun to be like, oh, yeah, you deploy your whole army. Now I deploy mine. <laughs> Boop. Have fun. And I think that, that's good. That's going to um, really test the opposite of the, the opponent, right? You know, it's, it's going to be something that they're not used to playing, which is um, what uh, that's that's been my experience in tournaments. It's seeing those units from other other um, other players that you're like, what? Where where's where's that rule, or how does that unit operate like that? So yeah, I think that would be um, that would be fun to play against. Preferably not against me, Brad, because uh, you know if you, if you don't attend the next bold action event, I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna be that sad to be honest. <laughs> unless I unless it's guaranteed, I won't have to play you. I might have to slip the TO a 20 buck note and say, Hey, first round, Dave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Dave, I think um, I think it's probably our time to roll out. But um, thank you so much for coming to hang out, brother. It's it's just, I I mean, I can hear it in your voice. You're keen. You're you're as you say, you're hungry. You want to get more of this, and I am likewise really really jazzed up by my really positive experience at the combat patrol event and man that easter event is looking so good i can't (laughs) and yeah i i know those guys have some really cool special prizes and some really nice swag but you know i don't go to events for that stuff it's a really nice touch what i guess what matters more to me is they're organized, they're prepared with eventualities that might occur, their timings are solid, and they have just so many nice little flourishes like delivering coffee to the table. Now, I don't know if they're going to do that at Conquest, but they really do go out of their way to think about these things in advance, the nameplates for the trophies. And they they printed nameplates for everyone at the event. So no matter who won, their name was going to go on that trophy when they went home that day. just that level of thought and the amount of thought and reaching out to the community to put together this player pack. These guys are, you know, they're the hotness right now and what they're bringing to tournaments, man, I'm excited. And it is so tempting. Oh God. I think I'm going to have to do this, Dave. Oh (laughs) yes, dude. Yeah. And I think I'm going to have to ask that we grudge in the first round. I'm going to slip them 40 so I don't play you. <laughs> I'll sit at the table by myself going, I guess I'm goodbye. Uh, anyway, when we start joking about slipping Tio's money, I think it's probably been a long week and I think it's time to call it a night. Brother, <laughs> it is always a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. You too, Brad. A pleasure to be on and uh, always good to talk about games. Amen, brother. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said, this was a very requested episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any feedback to the show, please go to the Cast Ice Facebook page. You are guaranteed a response by me. But um, I guess that takes us to what our buddy Casey always says. When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Ice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.
his friends are gone. And that track. 